good morning. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the King. And uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're with us. Um, it is uh, really good for us to be together. I, uh, Kat and I were talking just yesterday that uh, though we were gone last week worshiping with another congregation, um, it, we, we only missed one week with y'all, and yet it felt like so long. And so, uh, so it is great to be back with you. Uh, we, we love y'all and, and missed you, and, um, and it's just good to be with God's people. Uh, to worship him and to come to his word. And the portion of his word we're going to be looking at this morning is Psalm 27. And so if you have a Bible, please turn to Psalm 27. There's also a Bible in the chair in front of you. You can find the passage on page 460. Now, psalm 27 is a psalm of David, and it is a lament psalm. Uh, there are actually more lament psalms than any other genre in the entire Psalter. Uh, Psalter is another name that we give to the, the book of the Psalms. And the Psalms, if you remember from uh, when we restarted this series in the summer about the Psalms, one of the things that I mentioned about the Psalms is that the Psalms are, are not simply the uh, personal prayer journals of David or Asaph. Right? We're not just simply reading their private messages to God, but actually the, the psalms are, are hymns. They are songs that God's people would sing. This is the hymnal of the Old Testament people of God. And then one of the reasons why the people of God would sing these psalms is because they would, they would reorient them and they would reframe them and reform them around what it means to be God's people. See, as we sing these words, as we read them, as we delve into them, we're hearing from them who we are and what we believe and who God is and how we are to live in light of who God is. And the lament psalms do this in those times of struggle. The lament psalms do this in times of pain, and, and every one of us has been through struggle. Every one of us has experienced pain. And so in those times... In those times of worry, of concern, of anxiety, of depression, in those times, what do you want? If, if in those moments you could stand before God and be granted any wish, you could ask him one wish and he would grant it for you, what is the thing that you would ask for? With that in your mind, as you are thinking about that, let's go ahead and read Psalm 27. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all round me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. 
Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you are our refuge and our strength. You are an ever-present help in times of danger. That you are the one who has drawn near to your people. And so we ask that you would draw near to us again. So that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would please you. Our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you might be well aware that um, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Toy Story 4 came out. Maybe some of you have gone to see it. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Um, it's on, on the queue. It's something we're going to probably see at some point. But, so I'm not giving anything away. No, no teasers, no, no spoilers. Don't worry about that. But, but as Toy Story 4 was released, uh, there was a bit of nostalgia in my heart towards the others in the series. Right? And of course, my favorite of the Toy Stories is the first Toy Story. And if you're familiar with it, then you know that Toy Story is about these, these toys that come to life. Right? They, they live and they speak and they talk and they run and they get into danger and into trouble. And they do all these things unbeknownst to the world around them, right? to, to the owners of these toys, to the children, to the parents, to everyone else around them. And, and in Toy Story, there's two main toys, right? Woody and Buzz. Woody is Andy, his child, the child master, the owner. He's Andy's favorite. That's who Woody is. But then Buzz shows up on the scene, right? And Buzz is the, the newfangled toy. Buzz is the, the space ranger. He's got wings, and he's got a laser beam, and, and his helmet opens and closes, and he says cool things, you know, like um, infinity and beyond, you know. Like, he's, a, he, he's the cool toy. And so Andy's, or Woody's very jealous. He's very jealous. And while lots of things take place, and I, I won't go through it all because you've seen it probably, and if you haven't, you should go and see it tonight. So, um, but, but, uh, but lots of things transpire. But, but the biggest thing that's happening in the life of Woody and of Buzz is that they are far from home. Right through a series of events, they're, they're far from Andy's house, and so they're trying to get back to Andy's room, and they need to get back as soon as possible because Andy and his mom are about to move. And so the events transpire of how they are to get back to Andy's room, and, and as they're trying to get back before the moving truck leaves, they're faced with all sorts of dangers, right? The aliens at Pizza Planet, right? They're trying to hold them and, and keep them at Pizza Planet. The, the sadistic little kid next door, Sid, who likes to blow toys up. And his terrifying dog, Scud, who eats toys for lunch, right? They're, they're facing all these dangers and all, these, all, these, all this turmoil that's occurring around them as they're trying to get back home. And what's amazing is that with every danger, with every threat that comes upon them, they seem to find a way out of it. Ingenuity, a little bit of luck, right? Somehow it just goes their way. And, and every time there's danger, they, they find deliverance. 
But even though they're delivered from the sadistic little kid Sid, and from his terrifying dog Scud, and from the aliens at Pizza Planet, and from all the other things, even though they're delivered, Woody never is at rest. He's never at rest. He's always looking for something more. He's always continuing to move forward to to get to that one place where he will find rest because he knows that though he has been delivered time after time, though he has been saved time after time, what he really longs for, what he really needs is to be in the presence of Andy, right? It's not enough that he saved Buzz's life. He needs to get back to Andy. And so the movie ends, right? Buzz has a firework on his back and they're flying through the air and he drops Woody from the sky through the sunroof of the car into the box sitting beside Andy and Andy grabs him in his hand and says, Mom, I found Woody. He was here all along. And Woody can breathe a sigh of relief because he's now in the hand of Andy. He's at rest. And that's what's happening in David's life. That's what's occurring in the life of this psalmist. David's life in Psalm 22, 27 excuse me, is threatened. Evildoers are assailing him. They are, we're told they're like animals seeking to devour him. People are telling lies about him. False witnesses have arisen. He is in need. And so what does he ask for? What is he longing for? Well, what do you ask for? Remember, I asked you that question earlier. In time of need, in time of nervousness, in time of anxiety, what is it that you are longing for? What is it that you would ask God for? That one thing that you would ask him for, what would it be? Well, I'm sure that for many of us, we thought things like a relationship to cure our loneliness. We thought about a new job to provide for our financial needs. We thought about a remedy for our physical ailments and all sorts of other things in this vein. And, And to ask of those things in times of need would be completely appropriate. I mean, that's what David does, right? He asks for protection, for deliverance, for victory over his enemies, but he ultimately desires something more. As good as deliverance would be, as as important as salvation would be, he asks for something more. Look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What is it that David desires above all else? To be in the presence of the Lord. That is what he wants. You see, David isn't simply interested in what God will do for him. He is interested in God himself. That is what he is desiring. Because he realizes that that when he is in the presence of God, what he finds is that though there is still threat, though there is still struggle, he finds refuge. He's going to find rest. He finds refuge in the midst of struggle, in the midst of difficulty. That's what we see, that God is our refuge. Look at verse 3. David says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. He is surrounded, he is saying. Right? He is surrounding. There are, there are people who want to bring death to him, who are wanting to destroy him, and yet he says, I won't fear. Well, I will be confident. 
Now look, David isn't saying this because he he can well this up inside himself. David's not saying, "I, I don't fear because I'm just so courageous. That's not what he's saying. Why can he be confident? Why can he have courage? Because of verse one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? God is his stronghold. That word stronghold, it it means a place of refuge, a place of safety. You see, David knows that God is the place that he can find the safety that he is needing, the refuge that his heart is longing for. And we see the language he uses throughout the psalm to describe this safety. In verse 5, he says, God will hide me in his shelter. Again, in verse 5, he says, he will conceal me under the cover of his tent. In verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Do you hear that? Though enemies may be attacking me, God will hide me. God will protect me. God will be my refuge. Even if the most important people in my life would abandon me. Now, David, David invokes his father and his mother. Commentators aren't sure if this is David speaking about an instance in his life that we have no other historical record. There's no place in the scriptures that make us think that, that David's father and mother abandoned him. So we're not sure if he's invoking this as, as this piece of historical information that we weren't aware of, or if this is simply to be a metaphor that this is poetry, that this is a metaphor for who are the most important people in our life. And David's saying, even if they, my father and mother, would abandon me, I need not fear because the Lord will bring me in. The Lord is near to me. See, God is his refuge. David knows that the Lord will not abandon him. And we need to hear this. We need to hear this when we are sitting in the doctor's office and we're awaiting to hear the the diagnosis. We need to hear this when we are sitting in the lunchroom and all of our friends or our supposed friends, they're they're not sitting with us anymore and we're alone. We need to hear this when we are sitting in the quiet of an empty house and we know there is no one coming. We need to hear that if you are trusting in Christ, you are never alone. That God is your refuge. You are never alone. That's what Jesus told us in John 14. Do you remember as he was preparing his disciples for his departure? He said, I'm going to go to my death. I'm going to rise again. And then I'm going to ascend into heaven. I'm going to go away. But do not fear. Why? Because the Father will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. He will go away, but the Holy Spirit will come and dwell with us forever. That God is with us. That he dwells in us. That's what he told us. Jesus is parting words in the Gospel of Matthew. The last words that are recorded in the Gospel of Matthew by Jesus. I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age. Y'all, God is our refuge. You are never alone. Enemies and adversaries, those who are seeking evil, they don't have the last word. Not over David's life and not over ours. Because God is our refuge. He is the one who delivers us. 
That's why we need him above anything else. That's why we call out to him in our time of trial and difficulty, because he is our refuge. But he's not only our refuge, he's also our way. He's our way. David finds relief, he finds refuge, he finds salvation in God. That's what he says in verse 9. He calls God the God of my salvation. But David's need for God doesn't end with salvation. It doesn't end just with deliverance. You see, David knows that he needs God not only for refuge, but he also needs God for wisdom and for direction to move forward for how he is to live. And so in verse 11, he says, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Now listen, it'd be easy for us to conceive of God kind of uh, as this God of refuge, God who saves, who delivers, right? We like to think of God in that way because we know that there are certain things in our life that only he can rescue us from, like, you know, our sin, <laughs> right? And so we look to God and, and we are happy for him to be our deliverer, to be our redeemer, but, but sometimes we can have a little bit of a posture like, God, I'm glad you saved me. I'm glad that you rescued me, but you know what? I think I got it from here. Now, we would never say it that way, right? We would never say that out loud, but, but our lives reflect that, right? Because we go about our days, we go about our weeks, we go about our months, and we don't actually really give much thought to what would God have us do today? What would God have us do in this moment? What are God's ways for me? We, we actually kind of have this, like, we, we don't want to be autonomous in regards to our justification in Jesus redeeming us, but we want to be autonomous in every other aspect of our lives. Or maybe that's just me. I'm pretty sure it's not just me. But what David is getting at here is that, that his need for God and our need for God isn't just for our justification. It's not just for our redemption. It is for every breath we take. We need to know the way of the Lord. We need to know the path to which he is leading us upon. I mean, Jesus himself in Matthew 11, he said to his disciples, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know what a yoke is, right? A yoke, you stick it on the animal, and the yoke directs the animal in which it's supposed to go. And what Jesus is telling us is though the yoke of sin the slavery of sin that was upon our shoulders, though God has removed it, he has taken it off. If you are in Christ, you are not yokeless. But that that yoke of sin has been replaced with Christ's yoke to lead us and to direct us. We are not free to go our own way, but instead God has placed his yoke upon us to lead and to direct us in the way that we are to go. I can't remember if I've shared this with you or not, so I'll share it again. But when I was in college, I was playing baseball. I went to a school called Lander University. And before our very first practice, coach started using a phrase, the Lander way. The Lander way. And the Lander way was a way in which we were going to play every single game and we were going to practice every single practice. And it meant that we were going to, as soon as we put our foot on the field, we were going to have our shirts tucked in, and we were going to have our caps on properly, and we were going to run. 
We weren't going to walk onto the field. We weren't going to jog onto the field. We were going to sprint on and off the field. And every time we hit a fly ball and it, caught, it got caught, we would still run all the way through second. Every time we hit ground ball back to the pitcher, we would sprint through first because this is the lander way. If you are signing up for this team, this is how you're going to play. But it wasn't just how we were going to play on the field, how we were going to conduct our lives between the lines. It was actually a way in which we were going to conduct our lives all the time. Because the lander way, it, it went beyond the field, it went into the classroom. We were going to be diligent in our studies, and we were going to be honoring to our professors, and we were going to treat our classmates with respect and dignity, because the lander way was all-encompassing. That's what we signed up for. And in an even greater way, that's what we signed up for when we became a Christian. That there is no aspect of our life that is outside of God's ways. That we take his yoke upon us and we ask him, lead us in the way in which we are to go. Direct our feet along the path that you would have for us. In essence, we're saying we're not our own. It means that we don't live as I would live. It, does, it means that I don't walk as I would walk. It means that we would live and walk as he would have us walk. It means his words become our words and his thoughts are our thoughts and his attitude towards the world becomes our attitude towards the world. Right? We, we don't look at the world with disdain. We look at the world with compassion because that's what Jesus' posture was. We use words seasoned with grace and truth and kindness because that's the words of Jesus, right? We, we live every aspect of our life as Christ would. And when this happens, we find rest. When this happens, we find rest because this is how we were intended to live. To follow Christ on the way. Because God is our way. But finally, God is our song. It's the last thing we see. God is our song. David cries out to God as he knows deliverance is sure. And he sees God's face and then he erupts in praise. Look at verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now I want you to notice something interesting about this. I want you to know something. Um, where does verse 6 show up in the course of the psalm? It doesn't show up at the end. Did you notice that? I mean, there's, what, 14 verses. It shows up in the middle. And what's, what's interesting about that is that David's still in distress, and yet he says, I will sing and make melody. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? Because you would expect him to celebrate after he's been victorious, wouldn't you? But that's not what he does. I mean, we see in verse 6, he says, I will sing and make melody, but then in verse 7, he's still crying out. In verse 8, he's still seeking after the Lord. In verse 9, he's still asking for God's face. Victory hasn't come yet, and so what's he singing about? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why is he celebrating? Why is he making melody? Remember at the very beginning, I said that the Psalms are helping to reorient and reform us around what is true, around what is right and what is good. And so that means that we don't just sing when things are beautiful and easy and light. It means that we sing and we praise the Lord even when things are heavy and ugly, and it feels dark. 
Because in singing, even in those times, we're reminding ourselves and one another of what is true, of who the Lord is, of what he is doing. I mean, that's what David does. I will sing and make melody. And why is he singing and making melody? Why can he do this even in the midst of difficulty? Because of verse 9. Oh, you who have been my help. The reason he can sing in the midst of the darkness is because God has been his light in the past. Do you know this is the only time in the Old Testament where God is called light? It's pretty interesting. But David has been in the dark. He has been alone. And now, but he knows that God has been his light in the past. He knows that God has been the one who has delivered him. He has been his help in ages past, as the hymn would sing. And think about all the ways God has helped David. Goliath, right? David said, it's not me, but it's the Lord that will deliver me, right? And struck the giant down. When Saul was breathing threats, who was it that protected David? It was the Lord. When the Philistines were raging, it was the Lord again and again and again who showed himself to be faithful to David. And so he can say, he has been my help in the past. And so I can sing even in the dark today. And he has not just been David's help, but he has been ours. I mean, this is why we can sing, even in the midst of difficulty, because God has been our help. I mean, it was Christ who, for our sakes, went to the cross. And it was Christ who, because of our sin, took our sin upon himself. And it was Christ who defeated the darkness by rising from the dead and bringing to us life. God has been our help. And so we can sing. We can sing especially in the midst of difficulty. That's why we gather together. We don't just show up and worship when things are good. I mean, I don't know what, what all of y'all are bringing here this morning. Some of you are coming in, and, and I'm sure you are filled with a um, great deal of praise. And some of you are overflowing with joy, but, but others are, are burdened. And we are heavy laden and we are in need of help. And it is in those times particular that we need to hear these songs sung around us. It's in those times that we come and we sing. Because as we sing, we hear about who God is and what he has done. We hear the saints erupting in song around us to sing, God is my salvation. To sing words like the deep, deep love of Jesus, it lifts me up to glory, it lifts me up to thee. We hear these words even when we can't form them on our lips. We hear God's people singing on our behalf. I mean, that's what David does, right? He actually turns his attention at the very end of the psalm in verse 14 to the people of God. He says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. He directs his attention to God's people to encourage them to know what is true and what is good and what is right. And that's what we do for one another. That's what we do for one another, that we sing on behalf of one another, even in those times when we can't sing, so, so that we are encouraged to put our trust in him. We are encouraged to, to call out to him in our difficulty. That's what David is doing to them, and that's what he is doing for us. He is encouraging us to live in light of who God is and what he has done. And so, people of God, do not let your hearts despair. 
People of God, do, do not be overcome with fear. People of God, instead, cry out to our Lord. Wait on our God. Rest in him because he is our refuge. Because he is our way. Because he is our song. Let us sing and make melody. Let us declare the Lord as our refuge. Amen. Father, we do thank you. We praise you that you are our refuge and our way and our song. We rejoice that you have been our help in ages past and you are our help today and tomorrow and all of our days. And so we ask that you would remind us of that again. That we would speak and sing these words, not just to you, but over one another so that we would live as your people and we would put our trust in you. Not only when times are beautiful and good, but in times when things are ugly and sad. Help us to rest in you, our refuge and our strength. In whose name we pray and God's people said, Amen.